if you found this audio recording, just know that I was supposed to record uh, the final episode of FutureCast with my co-host, Ethan. Oh, yo-hoo, David! Wait a second. Come to record the podcast! Is that you, Ethan? It's so dark. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, I don't know how we get out of that. Ah, we all just, we just fucking bust out, man. We bust, we busted out. We We busted straight out. This is FeatureCast. This is a movie (laughs) podcast where we talk about primarily movies, but also other pieces of uh, pop culture. Yeah. Books, movies, music, whatever we really want to talk about. Absolutely. I'm David. I'm Ethan. Hello. That's my co-host. Wow. Today we're going to be talking about found footage. But David, we always kind of goof it up a little bit. How do we get to the to the the theme song? Uh roll it. God damn it! I don't know how to get there better except for just to scream, roll it. I mean, but I didn't. No, the theme song didn't roll yet. You just oh, yelled fuck. for no reason. No. We could try it again if you want. Roll it. Wait. No, it still didn't fuck. go. Maybe maybe a bigger run up. <laughs> this is this is so awkward. No, give it a bigger really- run up. Uh, really you know, drag it out. Let's just fucking roll it. Nope. <laughs> Did you no, know? No, because remember, it's got it's got the thing where it's like, so you got to do a little, you got to ramp it up. Did you know I got a part time job at a sushi shop, and what we like to scream a lot is, roll it. From deep within the great lakes of the internet live Two men buried under bad movies and popcorn Try their best to survive But how long could that possibly last? Find out as you join Ethan and David In this episode of Feature Cast. And that one, it worked That's really Fuck. good Thank it, Jesus <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's very good that it worked that time we don't have an editor. These things just happen. It just comes out like this. <laughs> the theme song just finds its place. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird because no one. I never wrote the theme song. It just kind of appeared. Uh, that's terrible. But where did it come uh, from? We so, sent the documentary crew down to the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethan said we were going to be getting into uh, found footage films, but before we get there, we got to cross off our first impressions. Yes. Now. Ethan, do you want to tell them what our first impressions are? Well, David, I'm glad you asked because I know you don't know yet, and I'm just—I want you to know because it's a podcast we run you. together. So when you don't I... know the things that we do, it kind of gets <laughs> frustrating for me personally. The first impression—it's <laughs> a collection of movies. Uh, now that we're in just like the normal season, the summer we had a, a little special where we did an extra one, uh, but we're doing Ooh. three first impressions each, and then also a backlog. Now. We'll get to the backlog in a second. First impressions, it's a movie we just saw for the first time. It has to be our first time watching it. So if we don't record for a bit and we watch, I don't know, Detective Pikachu 80 times, we can't talk about it because we've seen it 80 mm. times. That's for our later movie? section, 80th impressions. <laughs> now the it's, backlog... <laughs> there's not too many things we talk about. The backlog <laughs> is also... Uh, sort of first impression, except mm-hmm. it has a special distinction of uh, we took too long to get around to watching it. That's the whole premise. Yeah. It's something that's been sitting there. We've been meaning to watch it for a while. It's been on our radar, but we just didn't get around to it. And then we do it, and then we talk about it, and that's that's the whole fucking show. That's it? 
Um, Why don't you kick it off? Oh, I'll kick it off. Why don't you kick kick me? Uh, right in the fucking groin. Ow! David! Jesus! <laughs> God, that was my nose! <laughs> oh. uh, well, I gotta go so, I gotta go plug my nose up. Why don't you tell these fine folks about the movies you've been watching? <laughs> so, so I finally got around to seeing one of my most anticipated movies of the year. And that is One Cut of the Dead. This is Japanese largest independent movie uh, ever. It was so made far. for... I th- yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> it was made for, I think, like under $100,000. And it's made like tens of millions of dollars so far, which is just... Money, 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 money. On investment. And this is, it's really weird because I saw two movies at Alamo over the past like two weeks, and both of them were Shutter exclusive or uh, Shutter originals. Wow. Which is crazy. So the big thing with One Cut of the Dead is that it opens up with a 30 minute zombie attack chase scene. One cut. Fuck. One scene of this like ongoing, beautifully shot kind of obviously amateurly uh shot Mm -hmm. but it's just it's it's weaving and it's just it's so cool and then the rest of the movie i can't say what it is because like it ends that that 30 minute scene ends and then you're like what the fuck are we gonna do next and you really don't know Mm. and that's part of the reason i love this movie so much is that it just so perfectly surprised me with what the rest of the movie is. So basically, a little bit more of the premise is there are there are a few people who are at this abandoned warehouse type thing, and uh, they are shooting a zombie film there. And while shooting a vo- zombie film there, uh, zombies attack the zombie set. And the main actors and one of the stagehands kind of try to escape the area. And there's this crazy director who's trying to capture this for his perfect film, and mayhem ensues, and it's beautiful. Fuck yeah! I'll check it out. Um, I recently checked out a movie that had a very big budget. Oh? About $90 million, if my memory serves me, and it oh. has not made it, and it probably won't make it back, but oh, that's no. okay. I what still it? love it. Uh, this is Ad Astra. The latest oh, yeah. uh, Brad Pitt helmed moody mm. space drama. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're introduced to Brad Pitt's character, who is the son of a incredibly renowned astronaut, one that kind of pushed the boundaries or solar system, um, kind of pushes to the edge of that. Um, but his father disappeared. Um, or not as much disappeared, but we lost contact with him. Um, yeah. In the meantime, his father has, you know, been praised and accoladed. And Brad Pitt has been left without a father, but a huge, huge shadow over him. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people could have could have turned that into, you know, shutting themselves off from, from, from individuals, you know, focusing on their work. But Brad Pitt does exactly that. <clears throat> <laughs> See, I, I let it like he did something different, but nope, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> we we open the movie and uh, we we see this kind of stoic character uh, right as tragedy happens, and we're introduced to this intense scene. Oh God, it's so good. Scene through stoic <laughs> eyes. Um, yeah. Brad Pitt remains calm. 
his his heartbeat doesn't pass 80 beats per minute he Mm -hmm. like as he's literally like life and death situation that like anyone else would have passed out from for sheer like shock and terror but he is calm cool and collected um Throughout the movie, we see his kind of stoic wandering uh, as he gets put on a, on a secret mission. Um, and it kind of goes from there. I don't want to go too much into what it yeah. what happens because the, the things that literally happen don't have as much of an impact as what it means to the characters it happens to, if that makes sense. Um, and don't worry about trying... like thinking oh i it's gonna be really hard for me to delve into symbolism don't worry it's narrated to you exactly <laughs> like what the symbolism is but that doesn't detract from it in a way you know um yeah. it, it's got a lot of different influences that you see in a lot of sci-fi um i think you hit it right right on the on the head when you said it's apocalypse now mixed with blade runner yeah. um which is pretty spot on. Uh, I th- I would throw a little bit of Stalker in there. Tarkovsky Stalker. Ooh, I've not seen yet. That's great. Add it to your backlog. <laughs> it, it's already on there. Ah, great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. There is any scene that you can describe from this movie sounds like it's a really exciting movie, <laughs> but when it happens on screen, it is very almost sterile. Yeah. Um. In in a really really powerful way. I haven't. I was worried that people would be really off put by this movie, and it seems like not a lot of people have. Like it's getting really really good buzz across the board, which I love well, to see. I mean, it's so it has like an eighty one last time I saw for critics, but its audience score around tomatoes is like a fifty two. And I think that's part like, of with how they're marketing it. They're marketing yeah. it closer to something like The Martian. Where it's supposed to be, you know, oh, it, there's a there's kind of a mystery, like what's gonna happen, um, you know, it's adventures in space, but it's gonna be fun. No, it's, I don't know, <laughs> it's for me, it's not quite as poignant as uh, Claire Denis' film High Life from this year, but it touches on a lot of those same themes, um, in, in in a separate but still impactful way. If you like moody space dramas, this one's for you. It's really good. Towards the end, there's a point where it could have completely went one way or the other. And the way it went is ultimately more satisfying, but not Mm -hmm. what is expected. That's Ad Astra. (laughs) More, Uh, ultimately more satisfying, but not what was expected. (laughs) I also I just wanted to give like my quick two cents on this. I also saw this. I loved it. It's in my top five. To give you any indication of how much I liked it, uh, as somebody who has Apocalypse Now is one of their probably top fifteen movies of all time. This is just like this was made for me because I also loved Blade Runner. Blade Runner is probably like top ten, and this just like putting this like personal journey story in space with this like beautifully created world is just great and brad pitt his performance is just like when when you get that line that 80 beats per minute line it just like so perfectly sums up who he is and like the kind of character yeah there's a there's a line in the film um that goes i am looking forward to the day my solitude ends 
and that's a pretty big driving force throughout the whole film. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's keep the ball rolling. Yes. What's your next so, first impression? Another one I saw, which I was also very excited to see, was Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Hmm. So Jennifer Kent had her directorial debut a few years ago with The Babadook, which was critically loved, and The Nightingale has you know had some of those like famous like uh, premiere reactions where. A lot of people walked out because it had some very intense graphic scenes. Uh, so while watching this, I was kind of waiting for that scene. Mm. And when that scene came up, or so I thought it was that scene, I was like, really hard to watch, but I made it through. And then <laughs> about 10 minutes pass, and then we get to the scene. And it's got to be one of the most difficult scenes to just like sit through. It just... It's brutal in not any way, like, a fun way. It's just fucking tragic. I think this is probably the best lead performance from an actress this year, honestly. Uh, it's Aisling Francesca? Francesi? Uh, and then we also have Sam Claflin, who I've, I've seen before in other things, and he's never stood out to me as anything, you know? He is the villain in this movie, and he has got to be... The, my most hated villain of the year. He's just so despicable, and he's kind of got this, like, almost, like, suaveness to him. Mm -hmm. But every action he has is just, like, the most unforgivable action ever. Uh, and then we also have... This is going to be bad. Uh, Bekali Ganambar. You're nailing these. Getting them Dude, all these first are, try, I think. These are so difficult. Uh, and he is he is Aisling Francesca's guide. Because this, this entire movie is you get set up with these original actions. And then Sam Claflin goes on a trip to a different town. And Aisling Francesca, with the help of Bacali Ganimbar... <laughs> Sounds like Ganondorf from Super Smash Bros. Uh, he he acts as her guide through the wilderness, and it's basically just them tracking and surviving in these this harsh Tasmanian wilderness. It, this be hard to to recommend to a lot of people without like a big warning of like what they may see. Like I think the house that Jack built might be an easier movie to recommend to people than this. Interesting. Okay. Just, just because I don't... I think we're going to be talking about a, a pretty big one of the not sure how comfortable I am ever recommending <laughs> it to people. That might be a running theme today. <laughs> yes. It definitely is. Uh, what is your next one? Uh, my next one is two, actually. Uh, they are two Netflix movies... Oh. Uh, that are a longer version of uh, kind of classic 90s TV shows, early 2000s. What the fuck is this? Um, they are... The reason I want to put them together is because they both kind of go for the same goal. And one of them really works. And the other one also came out. So... <laughs> I'm talking about Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling... And Invader Zim Enter the Florpus. Oh, fuck. You watched Invader Zim. I watched both of them. Nice. Um, I want you to guess which one Ethan actually genuinely liked and what the other one is. 
Uh, I think the one you genuinely liked is Invader Sims. Absolutely incorrect. Really? So, Rocco's Modern Life, you you get somebody that their whole character is about the content they ingest, you know? They are mm-hmm. they are completely engrossed in this. And you take them 20 years into the future as they've been drifting through space with one cassette tape and you see how they respond to the new world. And what's great about it is that they have some of the the things you would expect from a cartoon's take on what life in 2019 is. So they talk about buzz bucks and you know the new the, the new fruit phone <laughs> and all these drones and everything like that and the internet and selfies but that's all kind of happening in the background well your main character is talking about how he really wants his favorite ip his favorite show to come back because it's not on the air anymore but he doesn't want it to feel new like he wants it to be new but not change and Mm -hmm. that's a really really important lesson of of this show coming back so it's a very self-aware movie, uh, and it succeeds because of that. They talk about you need the original creator to to really make it real. You can't just have like a random group of people dealing with the same IP, but you have to be okay with what the creator takes it in. Um, if it takes it in something that feels a little bit different, that's okay. Um, there are some new topics, or not not so much new, but more recently in in the in modern culture uh than has been in the past that i was kind of worried about how it was going to deal with um one of those being um transgender and Hmm. it handled it surprisingly well Hmm. in a real like i was just the whole time i was like "Uh uh-oh 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 but then it just it was fine and it was okay (laughs) i was like wait a minute are you telling me you can talk about something and poke a few holes in it without completely being totally offensive about it? Weird. <laughs> um, so it does all these things incredibly well. And Invader Zim, just, it's just the same. It's Really? There's nothing new. It's just the same. It's more convoluted this time. The characters are all the exact same. They try to, they change them up for a little bit, and then immediately they are the same again. And mm. I don't know. It kind of fell flat for me. I I was never a, a huge Invader Zim um, fan, okay. but there I was, was there were that. characters that I really that I did like from the show. Like Gur, I think is a, a really fun and engaging character, and they're still kind of fun in this movie. But they lose a little bit of that charm because it's just the same again. And I think it's so interesting to have both of these come out where one is all about how change is what's interesting and the other one being Invader Zim. <laughs> and it's, I don't know. <laughs> That's, I, I, wanted, I needed to talk about both of them because yeah, no. you kind of lose that context otherwise. Because if you just be like, guys, actually you need the creators to be here. Well, yeah. But they need to do something with it, you know? If you bring back the creator of Invader Zim and say, make Invader Zim again, they'll just make Invader Zim again. 
And that works for some people, but it's not... I don't know. It's... I don't know, David. (laughs) What's your next first impression? So, my final first impression, not including Backlog, is a small movie. I don't even... I don't even think you're going to have heard of this one before. Because I would... I was perusing the Target aisle (laughs) for the Blu-rays. And I was just, like, checking out, like, if, did I miss any new releases that I want to pick up? And I saw this movie that just looked looked like it didn't belong. <laughs> and it was right on, like, you know, like, facing outward, they have the new releases. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I pick it up, and it's got, like, these cute little, uh, uh like, te- like, teddy bears, but, like, animatronics, right, for, like, a kid's show, right? Okay. But they were holding, they were holding an axe. And I was like, "What is this?" Oh, I do. I do know what this is, but only because of you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a, uh, this is. It's called the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> and essentially, what it's about is there is this children's show that has probably been on the air for too long, which stars these four animatronic like it's got like a tiger and a bear and like an elephant and something else. I don't know what the final <laughs> one is. <laughs> uh. And it is getting canceled. It is its final day of airing. And it is a show that is shot with a live studio audience. Um, And for some reason, the, like, fucking creepy mechanic dude was updating the programming on these robots. And now they will not allow the show to be canceled. And they start killing people. And it's pretty brutal. Like, if this sounds like something you would be interested in, go watch it. You're going to have a fun time with it. That's what I... I read it, and I was like, okay, perfect. This is going to be a terrible movie, but it's going to be fun. Just an absolute blast and a half, yeah. Yeah, and like, (laughs) it is. It's not as good as it could have been. I think this is a movie that I I may may fix down the road one day, but I think it would have been a lot better if they weren't animatronics and they were real people who didn't want to lose their show. You know, because I feel like there's just a, a big disconnect when it's just, like, this robot that's going crazy killing people. But some of the kills are fucking brutal. I, yeah. It's the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. That's all you can... <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> this I, sounds I, like it, it's my type of movie. I feel like I'd have a blast with this and dude, you, walk you would... out completely confused. Yes. Especially the ending, it's like, the ending almost sets it up for a sequel. And I'm just like, what in the f- banana splits? Yo, what are you even thinking here? <laughs> like, that's not happening. Uh, it's wild. Incredible. I watched something that I wanted to be wild that was not that wild. Mm. I watched another Netflix movie, you know, because <laughs> Ethan likes diversity in, in <laughs> his film watching experience. Just, I don't know, these were the ones that I, I wanted to talk about the most. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I watched other better movies. Anyway, so... <laughs> I watched Between Two Ferns, the movie. David, are you familiar with Between Wait a Two second. Ferns? Yeah, no, I am, but I thought that was a miniseries release. It's, no. They, they release it. It's a movie? It's a movie. The fuck? And that's kind of the problem. So <laughs> the 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 great appeal of Between Two Firms, it's mm-hmm. a low budget internet talk show that also airs on public access TV, <laughs> right? And yeah. the thing is, 
the reason it got popular is because its host is kind of crude and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he's interviewing these top-tier celebrities and influencers and the president of the United States of America. And it's done very off-the-cuff and abrasive and mean, Mm -hmm. which is a complete opposite of what we usually get for talk shows. It's it's not, you know, everybody welcomes so-and-so out onto the stage and, you know, the crowd goes up and it's like, oh, it's wonderful to see you. And instead, it's, it's... saying um it's zach galifianakis saying to hillary clinton what's the best way to reach you email (laughs) you know it's (laughs) and then he has the you got mail button (laughs) exactly and like that's incredible um (laughs) so they set it up in a movie and the the reason it doesn't quite work it ha- it's set up there's he has to do 10 more episodes after a, a one interview went completely awry and he he has to travel the country and get these last interviews and all the interviews are fantastic they're the exact same humor that we came to expect with new people new new material and it those are all really good you know he has Brie Larson on and he <laughs> says Things like, so I've heard that you are very private and hate personal questions. Um, this is a two-parter. Um, is that true? And when did you get your first period? <laughs> so it's what? things like that that are, those are great. But it's everything in the middle that connects from interview to interview that are pretty generic. Like, we're a band of misfits and we're on the road, but... Is this really what we should be doing? Um, we're out of money, but we have each other. And it, even though it has people I enjoy, it still kind of falls flat. You know, so it has... Um, it's got Lauren Lapkus in it. It's got uh, the guy that did the Zendaya's Michi. It also has the guy that does the 21st Night of September videos. Um, it, it's got a lot of, like, really fresh wonderful talent that has a lot to give and it just puts it in a kind of a generic road trip thing but all, all the interviews are still really good and that's what sucks is because there are moments from it that are legitimately really really funny and i want to take away but it's like it's like you make a cake and you got some great ingredients in it but Stop. you forgot the flour so it's just kind of so you, a puddle. So you, you don't have cake. You don't have cake. <laughs> you all. have wet ingredients. You have like And the ingredients a on the surface egg. like, oh, you got hey, Yeah. You got some uncooked you did you put it in the oven. Milk you know? and vanilla extract. It's like, oh great. You have you have, you know, strawberries and it oh, there's like a like a coconut cream in there as well. Um, there's also a lot, some raw egg and loose milk. <laughs> Dude, I'm just happy I know that this isn't a, I thought they dropped a mini series on Netflix. Nope. Not a movie. I, I would have enjoyed if so, it was just a series of like. The interviews. Yeah. That's what I, I thought that it would have been better. <laughs> Who knew? So, you know what time it is, Ethan? Is it backlog o'clock? It's 
<laughs> yes. 100% it's backlog o'clock. Check your watch. That is... Check your watch. What did we all watch? It's backlog. Backlog o'clock. No, this one doesn't. Actually, I've, I've thought about it. This one does not need an intro song. No, it does not. It doesn't. Let's just get into it. <laughs> so I watched the 1990 film directed by Sofia Coppola. Ooh. Written by Sofia Coppola. Too. Ooh. Um, starring Kristen Dunst, uh, James Wood, Kathleen Turner, Josh Hartnett, and Scott Glenn, and Danny DeVito. Yeah. And a bunch of other people. And that is the Virgin Lost Suicides. in Truth. Oh no, Fwick. not Scar Show. The Beguiled. <laughs> the Bega- The Beguiled. The Beguiled. I really, really want to watch Beguiled. Uh, this is a movie that I've been, I've been meaning to get around to watching for a long time. Obviously, it ended up on the backlog. Why would I even say that? God, I'm stupid. You're a real um, dummy. <laughs> but, but it's it's a lot different than what I thought it was gonna be. Okay. Now, it, it's structured around this group of, I think, like, five, uh, probably, like, teenage boys who have kind of fallen into fascination with this also group of five teenage girls who are being raised in this very uptight and very strict household. Uh, very religious, very, uh, you know, the dad's the teacher of the school, and the mom is just com- very overbearing, so much so where she will lock her daughters into the house and not let them go out to play and pulls them out of school. Um, and we kind of just follow their journey throughout high school as certain things happen to the family. Uh, and then they try to, you know, reach out to the community, try to bring them in. You know, we kind of see relationships blossom. And then we see the outfall of everything that's, you know, been leading up to this, like, one moment. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, obviously, as the title would make you assume, there is a lot of suicide in this movie. And it it happens in a way that is very almost shocking. Like, because I wasn't expecting it. And I was like, wow, what a weird title, you know? I would say that this movie most reminds me of American Beauty because there's a lot of voiceover. It's shot in that kind of like late 90s, early 2000 way. I don't even know how to explain like the type of way except for if you put it on screen, it's just like, yep, that's that. Like it's so, (laughs) it's so American Beauty, you know? Yeah. And that's not in a bad way at all. Like I like that style. It's a little, it's a little too much for me now. I feel like, um, and it's also got this very interesting style where we kind of meet up with some of the characters that we are seeing play as teenagers and we see them as adults, like they're being interviewed, but that's never really like, they never go into that. Like we don't know what they're being interviewed for except for the movie. Right. You know, it's not like, it's not like trying to be a documentary. It is a movie. And then we just see these people later in life sitting down, being interviewed. Interesting. Um, fantastic performance from Kristen Dunst. Nothing like I had ever thought she would be able to do. From I mean, really, like my main view of her acting career has been the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> what is your backlog? 
1984, uh, a little film was released. It's considered by many as the greatest American concert film of all time. This is Stop Making Sense, a film by the Talking Heads. Are you familiar with the work of Talking Heads? Holy shit. That's this movie? Yes. So you're familiar with the cover. Yes. Yeah. So there's not a lot of concert films that make it into the Criterion Collection. So that's a pretty big okay. interesting. <laughs> like thumbs up if 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 I'm you so happy weren't I sold looked on at it that yet. just now. Fuck. Um it's it's incredible. It starts with it's completely silent and you just see a hallway. You got these big black curtains and there's this light, this bright white light that's kind of oozing out onto the stage. And it's just silent and it's rolling the credits. And then you hear footsteps, and you see uh, a man walking towards you with with these kind of faded, tan, like off-white eggshell pants. And he goes up on stage. He puts a boombox down, and he says, I want to play you a little tape. And then Mm -hmm. David Brin, just with a guitar and a tape recorder, goes into Psycho Killer. And it, the tape recorder, or the, the, the boombox, isn't actually playing the stuff. It's actually mixed in through the whole speakers and everything. But it's got this, like, punchy drum to it. And it has a physical effect on David Brin as he's playing the guitar. It's almost like he's getting shot as he's kind of, like, jerking around from side to side. And it gets crazier from there. <laughs> um, this came out... Uh, it was filmed over four nights to celebrate the release of the album Speaking in Tongues, which is a fucking amazing album. Um, it's really good. Each new song introduces like new people and like like new members of the band come out and they go through mm-hmm. more and more and it get it's super avant-garde <laughs> and artsy. It's really good. The cinematography is like off the chain it doesn't feel real it feels like if you got the chance to fake a live concert you remember the opening of of star is born mm-hmm. imagine that oh, yeah. shot by roger deakins <laughs> wow it's brilliant um it is absolutely gorgeous the sound is incredible it oh I can't, I mean, I can't tell, like, there's not a plot, because it's a concert film, mm-hmm. but it's gorgeous. There are, there are certain shots that are just silhouettes that are breathtaking, and there's, like, there's this level of detail in the, in just, like, the absence of color at certain points, and the intense red screens in the background um, that are just from projectors. It's really good, David. <laughs> It sounds. It's good. really, really good. Um, uh, it's on Amazon Prime, so you can just check oh. it out whenever. Sweet. Um, it's it, it's one, like the concert film is so famous that when the Muppets made a uh, parody of Once in a Lifetime, they didn't do the suit from the music video. They did the suit from the concert. Um, he, 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 he gets this huge suit that like <laughs> makes him like huge, but not quite Kanye West. I love it big, 
but like that was clearly influenced by this you know it's this big boxy suit that like makes the body physical so each movement becomes huge um it's it's so good do you have any film you would compare this to i haven't watched a lot of concert films in my life this is this is nothing like something like rolling thunder or um you know other films of that nature like there's nothing behind the scenes it's just the concert Hmm. um i yeah i don't quite know how to compare it to anything (laughs) and that might just because i'm unqualified to host a film podcast we both are with that out of the way, let's <laughs> let's go to our main topic. What? So our main topic this week, we're just going to be kind of talking about found footage films. Um, we do have to preference oh, it. help me! <laughs> Who was that? What was what? Get me out of this fucking house! Hey friends, this is the how we introduce to the found footage segment. Um, I don't quite know how was not discussed with me at all. David, David just let loose this little like Norwegian gremlin. My neighbors are calling the police right now. Good. You know, a lot of the films we're going to talk about did have people calling the police. Some That's in true. front of the camera and some behind. Ooh. So let's, let's keep, let's keep, let's, let's roll it back. Well, to, let's uh, get that to, far back. Let's roll it back to, you know, a, a little year we like to call 2018. Oh, the year of the skateboarding oh. horses. Who's that? John Cho? Is that you? Behind your daughter's computer? Hey, guys. What's my what's my daughter's Apple ID? That's not John Hey, it's me, John Ch- Cho. Do you know my daughter's Yo. Apple ID? Flick. <laughs> um, so we're kind of we're looking at these in reverse yeah. order for you know the found footage. To kind of see where we are, and then we're gonna roll it back, see where we came from. Searching really switched things up with kind of taking the you know modern age. Uh, technology and mm-hmm. using that in a way that I don't I don't think has been used before. I with, of course, unfriended. <laughs> actually doing it, but searching did something that unfriended did not do, and that is they got the real fucking like websites and yeah. Software. There's no like, they didn't, like boogle. <laughs> they didn't have to boogle it. They didn't have like uh uh fuck something. YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> um, what did you think of searching? Friend I think searching book. was. I think searching was actually my biggest surprise of last year. Yes, it year. was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Searching, was, I think, is really good. It's also the only found footage type on here that isn't a horror movie. There, there's no sort of supernatural or or pure evil element to this film. That's true. That's true. It, it is, is the, so, it's the most, it, it, it's, it's a thriller. It's a thriller. Is the main thing yeah. of it. But I, I, I may consider some of the other movies on the list a thriller. But this one is definitely leaning a lot more into the mystery and unraveling that, you know, putting all the clues together to figuring out what happened to his daughter. And that's a lot of fun. That is what makes Searching 
one of them, like, I think on this list, like, the most engaging. Uh, I will say it's the best film on this list. <laughs> and also John Cho. What a guy. What a fucking yeah. guy. So, this one, this doesn't have a presuppose, like, there's nothing on screen that says, like, this footage was recovered off the hard drive of so-and-so who was found dead in a bowl of cottage cheese. Like, there's nothing like that. <laughs> what a weird, it is, uh, it, it is more seven. of, like, <laughs> how it's filmed and the fact, like, the the delivery of it makes it feel real without it saying, hey, this is real. Like, it's not, this one, I don't think it's trying to trick you, but the way that it's filmed really, like, it makes it more believable because, like you said, they're all the real websites. Mm-hmm. Everything is like has a logical consistency throughout. If there's any changes in time, the technology matches it in some of the best, like technology, like old technology bits I've seen ever. Um, it really understands the format it's working for and has a lot of care for it, and that's what makes it really work. Now let's talk about something that maybe doesn't work really well. I think most of the films on this list work. Okay, so our next, just to make sure, we're going to our next one, the M. Night Shyamalan film. M. Night Shamhammer, The Visit, <laughs> starring the one and only Ed Oxenbold. My fucking hero. <laughs> He's he? so good. He raps. Did you know that he raps? I saw the movie, David. Um, <laughs> and also, Olivia Dijon. <laughs> DiGiorno? I, I don't know. Uh, who is yeah. the, brother and sister the, going the to heiress visit. of the DiGiorno franchise. <laughs> brother and sister going to visit Grammy and Grandpa. Older daughter is shooting a documentary for her film class. So, in the same vein of all Shyamalan films, this one has a twist. It's twisty. Uh... This is this is really like I think Shyamalan's revival movie. This is mm-hmm. one of his probably his lowest budget movie ever. Yes, uh, where he came out of. Yeah, it only cost fucking... a whopping five million dollars, which is insane that it cost that much. Yeah, um, but this but is... it made ninety eight point five million back. So that's fucking crazy. That is a crazy percent return. Uh, yeah, this is where he kind of came out of purgatory after. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Uh, no, he made some films in between that, David. What? After Earth. Mm, okay, so he came out of the purgatory of After Earth, which is even worse. <laughs> he never. I, I still think he's. I think he's in there to this day, in betwixt heaven and hell, <laughs> where he belongs. Um, <laughs> this movie, David, it's not that good. It's not that it's good, be- but it it's is better. Than the last Airbender, and I think that is such a low bar to call it a success is a fucking insult to film. But I kind of enjoyed some pieces of this movie. Like I think there's a big... the part where the little kid raps. No, you're picking the, the part worst where part. the part where the pop pop puts a fucking used diaper in the rapper's face. You know this movie is so close to like signs where everything you've been hearing on repeat throughout the entire movie comes into play within the last like 10 minutes next on the list is my personal favorite on this list and that is 2008's cloverfield directed by matt reeves tj miller oh no matt reeves and written by drew goddard (laughs) who i think the pairing of these two are also the most talented on our list 
Yeah, like that's I, fair. I genuinely think they're both very talented people who started with a small movie and now are doing things that are like really interesting to see. Yeah, they fucking they glowed up. Also, obviously, the big name attached to this movie behind the scenes is J.J. Abrams. Yes. Um, and this is just taking the very well-known monster movie and putting it behind the camera of some people at a party in New York City. Yeah. Um, it's one fucking thing, awesome. It's pretty fucking good. So the thing that it does really well is, like, there's so much extra stuff that you would expect to have been filmed normally. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, hey, look, there's a big monster, and I've only recorded this. Like, no, because, like... There's other stuff on that fucking, on that videotape, like, that what, SD card, you know. What it's doing is putting something off screen that you really want to see, but also putting this, like, personal journey of relationship that you're also invested in, and you want to see how that plays out, but also at the same time there are, like, these crazy-looking monsters that you, like, the lighting in this movie is great because you never really get a clear image of what's going on, yeah. and it, it's it's a handheld camera, unlike searching which is all you know like on a computer really so it's a stationary camera in the visit which is very well handled camera this one is shaky camera when they're running through the fucking like middle of a war-torn city and it's just it's awesome dude. i will say this has some of the most believable camera work of all of them mm-hmm. and by that regards i mean you see something spooky you don't slowly zoom in on it and then, like, quickly jut away. You ju- you fucking run away. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, what what else would you do? Uh, it's really good. Let's keep going back. This is the one that I think has, like, the most, like, the largest cultural impact. Paranormal activity. Which is probably the most, like, the biggest profit movie on this list. Oh, yes. Do you remember when this thing came out? How just, like, everyone was talking about this. And this is what... So it took... Sorry. Sorry. No, you go. I mean, this just created Bloomhouse, which is also the production company behind (laughs) The Visit. Uh, Yeah, so it took... uh, It took uh, M. Night Shyamalan $5 million to get, uh, what was it, 98 million back? Mm-hmm. This film made $193.4 million. <laughs> Crazy. And the budget was 11000 And that's why Bloomhouse is one of like the bigger production companies for horror films. That's insane. Yeah, it's fucking unbelievable. The fact that when you, if you put the budget in the same... Num- in the same terms as the box office, it would just say 0.0 million <laughs> because it doesn't register even like anywhere near it. It's fucking insane. But the uh, movie's fine. It's <laughs> totally fine. Like, when I think of found footage, this is the movie I think about. Mm-hmm. It's just like two people, uh, it's a couple in a house who are experiencing a paranormal activity. They set up cameras in the house. You fast forward them sleeping until something happens. Like, literally, the actual film fast forwards itself to yeah. the thing you're supposed to be seeing. And I think, like, the, like the fun part about the, these movies, because it's a huge franchise now, is when it gets to that point and you are just, everyone is leaning in and you are just looking for what you're supposed to be seeing. You know? Like, 
as the series goes on, it gets a little bit more creative where it'll put like the camera on a fan so it's rotating, oscillating, and you're like, what are we supposed to be seeing right now? And it's, I mean, it's kind of inventive. Well, uh, so th- there's two things. You already mentioned the camera work, which is fantastic. And, like, using names that are very comfortable mm-hmm. for each other. You know, it's their real names. So in the credits, it's just the same, you know? You don't have to credit them again. Um, there are two things that this film does really, really well that we actually see in some movies we're going to talk about very soon as well. The main two things is a technique called retroscripting, which is where you don't okay. really have a script. You have natural dialogue, and it all comes together yep. in post. I didn't know that um, had a name to it. Yeah, retroscripting. Really cool. hmm. The other thing has to do with um, making your actors disappear. Um, <laughs> most of that means like, hey, just chill out for a bit for like a, a few, like a year or so. That means don't go into any, don't like, the film wouldn't have been believable if right before it, you had a Geico commercial telling you to turn off your cell phone and there was the lady that got the ghost spook like, hi guys, you ever heard about uh, Gecko? You know, it wouldn't be believable. So it intentionally makes it so like, these are not people you recognize, which is hard to rope an actor into, Yeah, you know, unless they're just that bad and you're like, hey, can you do me a favor and just not be in anything noteworthy that people will see? And they'll be like, done and done. <laughs> not that the people in this are bad, but. <laughs> now, the next one we're talking about, a lot of people do consider it the, the grandfather of found footage. Yeah. It's not, and we'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit. But it's definitely the one that first introduced it to a pretty wide, yeah. uh, especially American audience. It's not the first one, but it is the first big one. The one that really like blew the top off. For an American audience, yes. anyway. Well, yeah. If you're Italian, there might be something a little bit different. <laughs> we'll, get that. we'll get to that. <laughs> and that's the Blair Witch Project. Yes. This one also... Before we like dive into the, the the actual movie, this one had the craziest marketing campaign behind it, where it set up like a website and it had like obituaries about the actual characters in the movie. Like Paranormal Activity took the first name of the actors and made that the character's name. This one took the first and last names of the characters. Yes. Of the actors. So, it's it's a, it's a pretty basic plot where this documentary group goes to this small village to investigate a haunting mm-hmm. or more so a legend i guess and they go into the woods like, it's just how do you know what the budget for this one was because i have to imagine it was even lower Unless it's uh, this surprisingly this still cost more really like how much more this this was sixty thousand. okay so not six figures but it also made Two hundred and forty-eight point six million. So it feels fucking bad. Fuck. Do you like this movie? <laughs> there are movies that only work if you believe that they're actual found footage, and there are ones that work even when you know that they're fake. So I think this one doesn't work if you don't believe it. it you kind of lose that suspense and tension. Um, a lot of the characters can definitely get on your nerves when you know they're not real. <laughs> um, 
it's like just shouting over and over i threw the map in the river why did you throw the map in the river because i threw the map in the river but why did you throw the map in the river will you stop filming me why did you throw the map in the river please come on turn this camera off the map is in the river get this camera out of my face i threw the map in the river but why did you throw the map in the that's like (laughs) that's like a third of the movie and then another and then like five sixths of the movie (laughs) is just them just crunching on some leaves and sticks and then like two percent of the movie is like but what if there's a bit of spooky there are a few things that i do like about this movie um one is that it tells you what's gonna happen right away and it tells you in a super boring way so that it kind of sticks with you so that when things happen it seems familiar but not enough that it actually like you're like oh now this and this and this is going to happen um kind of like there's a sequence in the exorcist where there's like whoa 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 don't ruin it i have not seen the exorcist you won't notice it oh fucking dick in in the, in a certain part there is i it's like one or two frames of a spooky face Mm. and your mind like it kind of it's not enough for you to register it yep but it's enough for you to kind of think about it yeah um and that kind of subliminal messaging and that's what this film did really well and i think it doesn't get enough credit for doing that well because it's all about like it was so believable when they were yelling about the map um I I just got irritated I I was just like fucking I hope I hope some fucking witch kills him (laughs) (laughs) shut the fuck up and also also the girl the main girl kind of sounded like Rosie O'Donnell to me (laughs) when I was watching it so it it took me out of it it's not a scary movie at all let's go all the way back all the way back to before before time what the the land before time? You know, nineteen eighty was a before was a before the man. internet, before writing, <laughs> before the written word, before <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, nineteen eighty things... BC. So we're gonna be talking about Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, <laughs> not the. No real easy way to to jump into a cannibal no. holocaust, huh? Not really. Huh. Uh, so, David, explain... Can you give... Now, that, that title's a bit much. Can you explain to the viewers why would I ever want to watch a movie called Cannibal Holocaust? And what is why is it one of the most influential films of all time? Uh, you know, I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this has been a movie I've been aware of for a very long time, and curious to see. Curious being mm. the keyword. This had a budget of a hundred thousand dollars. This was a and bigger only budget. Made two million. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean, it was shot on film, so oh, okay. it's expensive, and it was on location. Um. All right, so here here's the plot. So in 1979, um, you get the a group of I think it's four reporters. Um, that go to a part of the Amazon known as the Green Inferno. Of course, inspired the Eli Roth film yes. of the same name. These reporters go to the Green Inferno to make a documentary about 
um, the 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 natives of the land uh, mm-hmm. that are that are presumed cannibal tribes. Yes. Um, now, whether or not that's true of the real natives of the Amazon, well, I'll tell you, it's a no. There's some that perform slight cannibalism in terms of a, like a like a post-mortem ritual for their elders. But this film doesn't need nuance. Um, <laughs> but I think I think the framing of this movie is actually different, though, because the, it, so it that's opens that's up the start. With, that's what we're introduced to. No, we're introduced. We then see colleague. we no, then no, no. see a professor from the University of New York. It opens with that, that goes to retrieve this footage. It opens with that, right? But I'm saying like that's the main thing they're he's going after. Oh yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It, You start with with um, the sequence of. This other professor going to it, and it's it's yeah. done very much in the style of like NBC Newsline date Dateline reports, you know. Yep. Four reporters disappeared one Saturday evening as they took a funny little boat down to the Amazon. A professor from the New York University, well, he took a plane, the silly man, to go and see what the heebie-jeebies is going down. That's not. That's not. In the actual movie. What the fuck? Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from other documentaries, such as Green Inferno. (laughs) Do you like my Troy McClure? Yeah. This movie would be so much better if Troy McClure was like, he just jumps into frame. Ouchie, wouchie. That's a lot of violence, eh? So he goes to the Amazon to (laughs) see where these documentarians have gone. Yes, right. to to recover, hopefully them, if not them, find out yeah. what happened to them, some of their footage, things like that. And when we, he's there, he meets up with the natives and finds out that the the documentarians are dead. Because he sees like their remains, he sees all their film cartridges hung up. Uh, yeah, so then he looks over the footage and he sees a rough edit. And most of the film is him watching this rough edit. Um, and you know, some, some of the like newsroom and university scholars saying like, Hey, so, uh, Hey buddy, when are we going to see this hot new film you got? And he's going to be like, and he's just like, no, no, um, no, no, you haven't, you haven't seen it. It's no, no, no. Look at, look at me right in my mustache. No. Um, (laughs) and then we watch it. And you're like, Faye Daniels? Oh, no! <laughs> God damn it. That's the, that was the girl. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, then we see some pretty crazy horrific stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. What, it oh. what, what are your takeaways from it? Because I was surprised in a very good way and then really disappointed in So my takeaways are it's... I was expecting it to not be that impactful, uh, whereas in reality it's extremely disgusting, and mm-hmm. uh, it's probably like one of the most physical reactions I've had to had to a movie where I actually thought I was gonna like throw. I, I honestly thought I was gonna throw up watching this movie, and I've never had that reaction. Normally, I, you see something in a movie and you're like, okay, cool. And this is not our first foyer into like extremism in films. No. You know, literally just this episode you mentioned uh, the house that Jack built, which is not the most extreme, but it's you know it it, it has a taste of it. <laughs> the house that Jack built is like a Sunday morning cartoon compared to this. 
Yeah. Like this, there's just things in this movie that are so difficult to watch. There is also the the score to this movie is like that melody is just like really beautiful. Oh yeah, and no, it's a with, fucking the score is really. I good. love it. I love yeah. And um. that <laughs> that being played over rape mutilation. Yeah, it's just it's um. it's this weird cannibalism, uh, forced. <sighs> Uh, like burning alive. Yeah, I was looking uh, forward for that. Animal, animal just, abuse and and mutilation and it's it's a weird combination. But for what they're going for, it's almost like masterful because it's this like beautiful score overlaid with this imagery that's just completely horrific and monstrous. Mon- yeah. So monstrous? so to to say this is a evilly made film does not mean it's a badly made film no and i kind of hate that it's actually that i'm kind of impressed by it right it's really frustrating i wish this movie was terrible i wish this movie was like green inferno bad so i could just write it off as nothing but at the same time it's actually it's working in the way it's supposed to it's trying to work so i hate that one of the things that i was the most surprised by in, in in the film Cannibal Holocaust is that I was misled by the title, but then the title made a lot of sense. The the true savagery portrayed in this movie is from an unexpected source. Yeah. And I thought that was actually really, really smart and interesting and uh, not at all level of nuance that i was expecting the true horror of this film while there is some in the the film like a lot of it is really really hard to watch in a way that you wouldn't expect knowing that you're watching a uh, found footage film with incredibly outdated views of the amazon natives um it's still like i don't know it's it has this level of realism because some of it is all of the the scenes depicting animal torture are real it's, and those are really really tough to go through even, even if you didn't know they were real they're still real tough um, there's i know the i know the mm. monkey scene got you the most but the turtle scene the is turtle something. scene i was not a walk in the park none of the them are a walk in the, the park ho- the turtle scene was so long and it was <sighs> yeah. so so brutal. I like, I still it's it's just like in like fucking burned into my brain. I still can't, I I can't get it out of my head. Like it's fucking with me so much. Every single day I think about it. Let's talk let's talk a bit about the impact of the film and some of the things it did behind the scenes. Let's talk about impact. Oh yeah, let's talk about the cultural impact of this movie. So clearly it spawned an entire genre of renegade filmmakers into millionaires <laughs> like it it completely it succeeded in exactly what it was trying to um to achieve uh Sergio Lerone wrote a letter to the director after watching it premiere in Milan and said uh, I, something along the lines of like I, th- I think you've made one of the best films of our generation but I worry that others might not like it <laughs> And not like it was very generous. So, 
uh, a little over a week after it made its debut, it was confiscated by the government. Um, the director was arrested. Uh, and, like, all, all of the film was conf- Like, every single copy. Um, it was literally, they were like, you cannot ever show this. It was so believable as a snuff film that the director had to go to court on charges of murder. Which, of course, he got the actors to show up and be like, lol, I'm not dead, though. And they were still like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, show us the turtle. And he was like, I, I can't do that. I can't bring the turtle out. And they were like, please. So the thing that Paranormal Activity did where they made their people disappear uh, and it was just like, guys, I don't know who these people are. This one was like, the, we have not seen these people you murdered them. <laughs> it's, a, it's a slightly different level of intensity. Um, this film also led to a complete rework of home video distribution in the UK. Um, <laughs> like, it actually had classifications. It's It started that. An equivalent to the MPAA in terms of, like, rating, but for, for home video in, in, in the UK. Um, it started its own genre called video nasties which is all the ones that they were like no you should not watch this it has extreme um sexual carnage and violence in it i think i'm pretty sure alamo theaters does a bunch of video nasty yes they got very popular i think found footage generally is kind of just a trick it's something to slap on to a movie to you know, make it mm-hmm. different and also probably honestly lower the budget of making the movie. But I think in recent years, we've gotten some pretty interesting interpretations of the genre, whether it be searching or Cloverfield. Yeah. But I mean, Cloverfield's like getting to Cloverfield's getting to a pretty old time. Yeah. Um, there was a movie that we didn't, didn't talk about, which is afflicted, which is a really interesting take on the vampire There's a lot story. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk about oh, yeah. wreck. I mean, even talk about, uh, One Cut of the Dead is more so found footage. Uh, we didn't talk about certain sequences from Zack and Marie and make a porno. <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't have to talk about that. That's, that's, more, that's more pound footage than found footage, stop. if I do say so myself. Oh, my God. I think found footage is interesting. I do agree that there is definitely a point where it becomes style over substance. I think... Mm-hmm. Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity can be good examples of that, where if you didn't have that framework, it is literally nothing, and some at some points, even with that framework, it's still a little bit of nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think you do have like ways to tell an interesting story. I think Cannibal Holocaust tells a kind of interesting story. Totally. While be it in some of the worst ways it could have told it. Mm-hmm. I think Searching tells uh, a kind of average story in a super compelling way yes so i think found footage has its place i think that it is sometimes hard for that place to be a great place it wants to be but fuck me if it doesn't make money oh my (laughs) god (laughs) it is ridiculous yeah have you looked at the numbers david the numbers (laughs) on these things they get all the numbers tens elevens twenties uh they got premium European prices. I want you to take this high-pitched voice and roll it right into a song. A song? A song. A song? 
Oh, a song. Every time I look outside my window, I think I need to fix a movie that really freaking stinks. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That, are we just fixing a movie? And this. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes I sit in daydream about some things, not the memes. I think of a brand new piece of media. God, this kills like the back of my jaw. That the back of my jaw hurts. Well, <laughs> it's a peach and a fix, and you stir it up with your mixing stick. Ooh, mixing sticks. I like that. Let's you go up. to the kitchen nope. and say, Hello, Delilah. What are you doing in here? <laughs> let's, uh, it's let's Pitch get into and it. Fix, the ever changing theme song to the ever present segment. I thought I'd go a little like Scandinavian operatic this time that was around. Really good. I like And that. it physically hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally, like my jaw is literally in pain right now. I'm gonna need you to kind of break down what this is for just a second, as I uh, so, atone for in, my sins. In the pitch and fix segment, uh, Ethan and I switch off every episode with who is fixing a movie that probably sucked or just wasn't very good, and the other one pitches a wholly original idea for a movie, documentary, anything that they really want. Yes, and we're getting a little fucky with that premise this time around, because sometimes you gotta fix a lot. Sometimes a movie just you you look at it and you're like, let's scrap it all. <laughs> we're gonna start from the ground up. We got a lot of work to do in front of us. We're starting off with the fix for this week, and that is, uh, I'm gonna go specifically Hitman Agent Forty Seven. Holy! So not the fuck. 2007 Hitman, but Hitman Agent Forty Seven. Uh, uh, David, give me a quick guess on the Rotten Tomatoes of this film. Twelve. Oh, that high? <laughs> is it lower? Six. Oh. David. What is it? It's a nine. Ooh. We're at a nine. It didn't even break double digits. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Um, now, here's the thing. It's got a few talented people in it. Got Rupert Frayne, who who we also know from Death of Stalin, amongst other things. This is directed by Alexander Batch, or Bach. Um, now, their lowest rated film is the 9% of Hitman Agent 47. But their highest rated film is the 9% that was given to Hitman Agent 47. So, it's step really number cool. one, we're getting rid of this director because, <laughs> I, you know, is that his only I'm, sure, I'm sure they're a real nice guy, but... You get in the boot. Uh, I'm Who are you even, pulling on? Huh? Who are you pulling on? The I am pulling on Nicholas Ruffin. Wow. Now, there's a couple... There's a few reasons why. <laughs> Let's hear him. He's from Denmark. <laughs> so oh. is the game Hitman. It, they're both Danish properties and Danish true? characters. I didn't know that. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, plus he can also direct, uh, tense violence really well. And I think the, the thing that I want Hitman to be is I want it to be a more into the stealth aspect of the game. 
and like the the clinical like <laughs> assassinations rather than a high octane slam your foot on the pedal drive as fast as you can mm-hmm. action flick that they've made it yeah. um i want it to be kind of slow and intense i also could have picked sam mendes for this oh god for their work on skyfall but i'm going to take yeah. someone from skyfall anyway and that's roger deakins is doing the cinematography Thank for god. my hitman agent 47 movie and my highbrow hitman agent 47 movie now i know <laughs> what you're thinking ethan rupert is a great actor he's a chameleon behind the camera are you getting rid of him yeah <laughs> yeah i'm getting who rid are of you him. bringing in killian murphy Oh, uh, who yeah. I think is a super underrated actor. Um, I I think that like I don't know. There's this kind of like dark dreaminess to, into his very set back, sleepy eyes that makes him look like he knows a lot of like he's really thought about what's going on and he doesn't care at all about it. But yeah, so I want this to be a like kind of you you don't have as many resources you do kind of have to just make do with what you have kind of like how in skyfall you know like you're on the outskirts of it you're not like here he is our main assassin and and there's not really going to be like who is this guy like they have an hitman agent 47 where zachary quinto's character is trying to to figure out what the whole story is uh instead you're just going to be introduced to this hitman very much in, in the vein of You Were Never Really Here, where you don't get much of his background. You just know him, and you see how brutal he can be, and you can see how still and stoic he can be, despite the violence. Besides the name, could have you been fixing either Hitman movies? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I, just, I, I haven't I seen the curious. 2007 film, and I never will, but I did see okay. Hitman Agent 47. Anyway, so... There's going to be a somewhat antagonist. Um, this is just going to be kind of like a like a, a crime syndicate leader who's a little off their rails and super paranoid. Uh, and that's going to be played by Ryan Gosling. I mm. want Ryan Gosling to have a role where he can go full scumbag and really go, like, turn it up to 11 in terms of, like, his acting. You know, because we've gotten little bursts of like, holy shit, Ryan Gosling is a good actor, but he hasn't had his Scarface yet. (laughs) Right. Uh, I want this to be like uh, his what Leonardo DiCaprio got to do in Django Unchained, but for Ryan Gosling, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I don't have a full plot set up. (laughs) That's okay. I just have some some key key creators and little bits of content that I'd like to see explored. And honestly, even if this movie ends up being a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, that's still so much better than the 9% that we yeah. got. Give it a 47. Give Agent 47 a 47%. That's all I want. I mean, I make think him for, almost good. <laughs> I think for shaving Killian Murphy's head gets you at least to a 60 for my pitch this week this month i'm gonna go over the crew first and then i'll hit cast and then i'll hit what the movie actually is. okay that's it, a, that's a like, way and for the cast it's really just gonna be one actor okay hit me with that there crew. will be so for the crew we're gonna have emmanuel lebesky as the cinematographer 
Okay, uh, it's already Who's... got nominated for a few Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> and for writer-director, I t- this may be a mistake, but this is just the person I keep I kept coming back to when I was trying to think of somebody mm-hmm. for this. It's Adam McKay. Wow, wow, that's an interesting combo. Yeah. And I don't I know if they because... blend quite well. Well, okay. Th- just that's, wait for it. Yeah, give me your whole pitch before I shit on your whole so, idea. The reason I needed Adam McKay is because I think he can handle... Obviously comedy. And that's what this kind of is. It's like a okay. drama comedy. Dramedy. Uh, and we, he can also handle serious topics. We've seen that in The Big Short, even though The Big Short is handled with some levity to... The the drama part of dramedy. Yes. The lead actor is going to be Adam Sandler. <laughs> and there was a... There was can a I give you the pe- plot? Yeah. So he is a... He's a diamond cutting salesman <laughs> for the seediest no. boys in the New York City. Nope. Until one day things go awry, a deal goes sour, and now he must right his wrongs and make it out alive. The safety brothers bring you <laughs> uncut gems. The, the safety. Uh. <laughs> Nothing safe when the safety brother. <laughs> the no, safety. So what this movie is going to be, it's going to take place in a single a single night. Retired comedian who is returning to do one more night at like probably some at like the smaller Apollo. club. Oh. No, probably probably like the House of Comedy. Okay. Something um and he's returning to do one more night of stand up just because he kind of misses obviously that 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 energy, you know, and that that feeling he gets when he's up on stage. And so the reason I wanted Lubeski on here is because a lot of this movie is going to take place backstage, like in the green room and kind of just like the interweavings of everything that's going on back there before he actually gets onto stage. And I think Lubeski handled Birdman so well mm-hmm. back there where he's you, you can tell he's working in, in actual confined space, but like the air, everything's just laid out so perfectly, you know? Yeah. And I would like this... I would... I would like this to be as as few of cuts as possible, and so that's where his his masterful camera work would would come in. And McKay is gonna a lot like the final twenty minutes of this movie is going to be the actual stand up bit where he kind of gets onto stage and like everything before that is just what he's been dealing with and de- coming in and dealing with like the new crowd of comedians who mm-hmm. some who have been in the game a little bit longer respect him as somebody who at one point was like top dog in the stand-up circuit but he's also dealing with the new top dogs who don't have respect for him as much and think he's just washed up and that he's you know coming back because he's it's like a money grab or like an ego thing yeah yeah i get you and I think Adam Sandler, honestly, after seeing Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, I was like, this Trailer. guy can hit, so- <laughs> yeah, sorry. He can hit so many notes. Like, I didn't even know he could do this. Like, where did this come from? And Adam Sandler obviously has a long career in comedy. And I think he would just, he would perfectly encapsulate this character in his mental state of where he is. Where, 
at the end. Are we at the end of the episode? Yeah, you were just kind of faded things to the end. Do you think we're not qualified to pitch and fix movies or even talk about movies or talk about filmmaking? Well, you're probably right. And also, I just uh, made a music video. Go go on the YouTubes, look up Speak of the Monsters by Caleb Braun Schultz uh, from their fantastic album, Moons to Morning Stars. You can get it anywhere you get your music. Uh, very soon we'll have physical CDs as well, which is awesome. Anyway, uh, what else do we normally do? Send us an email, futurecastquestions at gmail.com. Check out some of our social channels. Where can they find us, David? They can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at feature. That's F-T-R underscore cast. You can also follow us, uh, our own personal letterbox, uh, to see what we've been watching, get a sneak peek of what we might be talking about. Sometimes we write reviews, sometimes we don't, because we're lazy and fickle. Uh, those you can find just in the description of the podcast. They're going to be right there to link to it. Uh, what else? We got a Patreon, David. <laughs> we do give have us Patreon. money. No one's going to give us money, but it's okay. <laughs> you can also give us money though at the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, just because we really need it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you need to make money and have an idea, hey, maybe try making it found footage. But remember, don't get possibly convicted of murder in the in the process <laughs> and i think that's the lesson we can all learn the more you know uh that's it that's the whole dang thing you did it you listened to it all